Welcome back to The Musicologist and the Nerd. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Concord, and this is Nicholas Atchison Wainwright III, or Libby and Nick. So if you were with us last time, you would have heard Nick talk about a Disney composer by the name of Alan Menken, one of everybody's favorites. And now I'm going to talk about Richard and Robert Sherman. Hopefully not as long-winded as me, but hey, maybe. Differently long-winded. Okay. Differently long-winded. Oh, before we start, Nick, did you hear that Disney is putting out a 2016 original cast production of Hamilton on film? I did. I am so excited. excited. I know. We'll have to, we'll have to watch it. It'll be so fun. Um, So much better than trying to find a bootleg. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. Inside someone's jacket is just not quite as cool. No. Anyway, back to topic. So Dick and Bob Sherman, as they were known, their father, Al, was a Tin Pan Alley composer. I saw somewhere online that their grandfather played. He was the musician composer for a a European royal, but I couldn't substantiate it. But it's uh, interesting. Interesting idea. Sounds like a cool family story. Right, don't you think? So kind of like Alan Menken, he came from music right from the beginning. Um, His, so their their father, Al Sherman, he was born in Kiev and he uh, came to the United States in 1909 and he played pianos for silent pictures. Uh, That was his kind of moneymaker while he was also writing songs for Tim Panelli. That is where he met his future wife, Rose, who happened to be a silent film actress. She was very beautiful and talented. Uh, and in the silent films so they got married they lived in new york and bob was born in 1925 dick in 1928 and when they were fairly young their dad got hired to do a job out in hollywood this exec said hey i've heard your stuff i think it's really good he he actually had some fairly popular songs of the day and so they packed up and they moved to hollywood and by the time they got there the exec who hired him had died Well, that's a little inconvenient. That's very unfortunate. It's very 1920s, 30s, you know, like, oh, nope, we don't remember anything about that. Yeah. So he kept writing songs because his job basically just evaporated. But they were out in Hollywood, and that's where the kids grew up. And as they were growing up, they started their own production company called The Alley Productions. And it was in a little shed down an alleyway in their backyard. Bob was the director, producer, and writer, and Dick was the performer. They charged a penny for people to get in, but Dick would let all his friends in, so they basically didn't make any money. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So, uh, oddly enough, Bob's really good friend was Sam Goldwyn Jr., who was the son of the famous executive of Goldwyn Meyer Studios. And uh, Bob really wanted to be a poet and a novelist, and Dick didn't really know what he wanted to do. But they, they were growing up right around the time that World War II was starting. And so Bob went off to fight. Uh, Dick was a little bit too young. And after the war, they both went to Bard College. Bob went in literature and Dick uh, didn't know what he was going to do. So he went for a walk and all of a sudden he started hearing music in his head. And his dad said, son, I think you're going to be a composer. (laughs) If I got that every time I heard music in my head, I would just be composing music nonstop. Well, why aren't you? Just start now. It's time. It's time. So they, you know, they they ended up going to college together and they kind of discovered that they had a good thing going. They could be a songwriting duo, again, prompted by their father. He said, you know, get together, make some make some songs. So the good piece of advice that their father gave them, which I think shows through all of their Disney movies that they did, is keep it singable, simple, sincere and original. Wow. I think you could 
say that about a lot of things of life. Yeah, right? It's kind of like kiss, but with a little bit more depth. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was the advice that they that he gave them, and they really did take that through all their Disney movies. So I have a lot more about their life here, but I think that we'll just skip right to the juicy stuff. So they got into working with Disney because they wrote a rather hilarious song called Tall Paul for Annette Funicello who was one probably the most famous Mouseketeer. And she recorded a number of their songs. They made all these really interesting uh, albums for her that, that were sort of puns on her name. And uh, through that, Disney sort of discovered them and, and brought them in to work on The Parent Trap. So they worked on The Parent Trap and Disney thought that they did a really great job and he asked them to write a few things for Mary Poppins. He gave them the book and he said, here, take take this uh, this book and and see what you like from it. See what you can come up with. And in those days, the songwriters had a lot of freedom. They, they really could take a story and, and make it their own. And so they they picked six chapters that they liked. They thought made a good story and wrote some songs and brought it back to Disney. And he said, that's really weird. I highlighted the same six chapters and thought it would make a good movie. And they became the first songwriters that Disney had under contract. Wow. Yeah. That's a cool way of doing it. Just like, hey, I just read your mind. And uh, now look at that. Yep. Give me an office. Put, Put me in here. So... They started making buku bucks, like $500 a week each. And they tell a really cute story in one of the videos I watched about them where they would get into their car at the end of the day and at the end of the week, and they'd kind of look at each other and, you know, do this, do this signal, five, six, seven, hold up their hands and then go, oh my gosh, I got $600 too. (laughs) And, you know, like little boys would do is really cute. So they started in the in the early 60s, they started writing uh, music for for Disney movies. They also wrote a little number that I'm almost afraid to mention the title of because it's going to get stuck in your head Uh, for the UNICEF pavilion, which was the theme of it was UNICEF salutes the children of the world. And that song was small world. Nick knows. Yep. Yep. So that was for the 1964 World's Fair. I thought it was interesting, too. On one of the videos I watched, they had uh, Sheldon Harnick, who is the lyricist for Fiddler on the Roof, who said that he gets really moved every time he rides through the ride and listens to that song. Huh. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting tie into what we were talking about last time. Okay. Yeah. So... They had this amazing career together. In 1965, they won an Oscar for the score of Mary Poppins. I believe they each won one. I'm not sure. Um, And they also won two Academy Awards for that movie. So over the rest of their career, they got nine Academy Award nominations, two Grammy Awards, four Grammy Award nominations, and 23 Gold and Platinum certified albums. So not quite as many awards as um, Mencken did, but they really, they translated their songs into cash well with those Gold and Platinum Uh, Yeah, no kidding. Mm -hmm. So they were really devastated when Disney died in 66, and they worked on a few more films, but in the late 60s, they left Disney. And it was after that time that they did the music for a little movie called Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. In 1968, which was kind of a huge hit. So when Nick was talking about Alan Menken, he was talking about how The Little Mermaid had been pulled out, shelved, pulled out, shelved. And that seems to just sort of have been Disney's MO. That's what he did. And so two 
shows that Disney had pulled out and had the brothers work on, but then shelved, were Bedknobs and Broomsticks and the Aristocats. And so they returned to Disney in 1970 to finish work on those those uh, movies. So the brothers also had a lot of accolades outside of uh, Oscars and Academy Awards. They got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1976 and were given the National Medal of Arts in 2008, awarded to them by President George W. Bush. In 2005, they were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And in 2010, they got their own window on Disney's Main Street, which is pretty cool. So for this, for these guys that started in the 60s, like Megan, this is pretty late to it be acknowledging that. It took a long that. time. Yeah. I mean, it took quite a long time. I think back in that day, uh, it was really, you know, Disney is the guy who's known. The animators, the musicians, the, you know, storyboard artists, they're a little more behind the scenes. Um, They got some recognition, but it just wasn't quite the same. They weren't, you know, necessarily powerhouses on their own. Um, So they got a number of more awards. They got honorary doctorates. uh, And both Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Mary Poppins have been taken to the stage and have been very successful musicals. Uh, Interestingly, the brothers really didn't get along. Their wives didn't like each other and they worked well together. But outside of that, they they really didn't talk much. (laughs) They lived a couple of blocks apart and after their kids were probably, I think it was after their their parents died, after the elder Shermans died, um, Bob and and Dick basically decided that they weren't going to hang out socially anymore. So after their kids were like eight or nine, they never saw each other. They lived a few blocks apart, never saw each other. Wow. Yeah. So they, uh, that was really interesting. Um, and in, in 2002, Robert moved to London and uh, Dick stayed in California and they just really didn't talk that much, didn't get along. So they worked, after, after Robert died in 2012, uh, Dick wrote some music for uh, the new movie, Christopher Robin, the live action movie from 2018. Uh, And he also was a musical consultant on Mary Poppins Returns. And he's continued to work and to do lots of different things. He's, I think he's 92. That's, that's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will say I have actually seen Christopher Robin and I do like that movie. I haven't seen Mary Poppins Returns yet. Don't see it. You're fine. Okay. You're you're good. I actually, that was one of my questions for you later. Have you seen it? Um, Our, our favorite guy. Lin-Manuel Miranda is in it and I think that he does a very good job. He's sort of the Burt character. Mm-hmm. To me, it was just a hollow version of the original. Oh, that's sad to hear. Yeah, I, I really didn't like it. Um, his performance was really great and I absolutely see why he jumped at the chance to do it, but uh, I really didn't like it at all. I saw it in theaters and just thought it was terrible. Anyway, that's my two cents. Everyone okay. should go watch it anyway. Yeah, and you know what? Tell us if you disagree. That's right. Right, right in. Eventually, we'll have an email, and you can write us in and put it on our Facebook page. We do have a Facebook page, actually. We, we do, yeah. If you look up Musicologist and the Nerd on uh, Facebook, you'll find us. There's even a picture of us. You can see what we look like. That's right. I'm in my pajamas, because that's how I roll. Yeah, me too, but, you know, I sleep in the buff. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. We're good. We're good. 
we're good. Yeah. So go check us out on Facebook. Also, part of the reason that we like to do this, and one of the things that some of our beta listeners commented on is after they listened to our last podcast, they had to go and write down this huge list of musicals that they hadn't seen, that they were dying to watch again, um, that they'd maybe only listened to. And so part of what we want to do is share our love of this stuff with you guys and inspire you to go out and listen and read and do some more things like that. So I'm going to talk a little bit about their movies. I'm going to do it slightly differently than Nick did because I th- I'm going to assume that most of our audience is about our age. May It may be a bad assumption, but we'll see. So some of you may not have actually seen some of these movies that I'm talking about and may not know the stories. So let's give you a real quick rundown. Their first big Disney movie, 1961, The Parent Trap. Nick, have you seen that movie? Not the original. Not no. the original. You've seen the Lindsay Lohan version? Yes. Yeah which was fine. Um, That was the one that came out when we were kids, probably about middle school time. And uh, it was fine. The original was very good, though. So it starred Haley Mills as Sharon McKendrick and Susan Evers, Brian Keith as her father, Mitch, and Maureen O'Hara as her mother, Maggie, which is the, you know, Maureen O'Hara was a, a big wig, big powerhouse. So essentially, two twins are separated at birth. They meet up at camp and they decide they're going to get their parents back together. So they go through uh, a series of, of hijinks where they have to chase off their father's fiance, who is a terrible gold digger, and they take her camping and they put uh, they give her sugar water instead of mosquito repellent. So she gets bitten terribly by mosquitoes. They put honey on her feet and a bear licks her feet. And essentially they send her running and they bring their parents back together. So it's a little bit of a corny, a little bit of a corny show, but uh, it was pretty popular. It was based off the novel, I'm going to just butcher this, Das Doppelt Lachen by Eric Kostner. And essentially, it's the same story, twins separated at birth that come back together. And it was translated into film many times, but twice before Disney did it. Once, yeah, once in West Germany in 1950. Second time in Britain in 1953. So that that was really interesting to find out that this wasn't the first time and wouldn't be the last. So have you heard, Nick, have you heard one of the most popular songs from The Parent Trap? Let's get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah you know that one? Yeah. yeah. So that one was recorded later. Well, it was recorded for the soundtrack by Annette Funicello and Tommy Sands, who were really popular. Can't remember if Tommy Sands was a Mouseketeer as well, but they were big teen idols, big hits at that time. And the Sherman Brothers thought that it'd be really difficult to sing Parent Trap with the two T's, Parent Trap. So the music pauses every time they say the words parent trap and they're able to to sing the song and then say parent trap rather than have to figure out how to sing that interesting Uh uh-huh i thought that was pretty cool and the other funny thing about this song uh it dates itself a little bit one of the lines is uh they're talking about the parents and how you know you can't get them back together this way can't get them back together that way and one of the ways you can't get them back together is uh they're much too old for the strap so essentially they're saying you can beat children with a belt but you can't beat your parents wow Uh that's pretty good that's uh that's yeah that's definitely dating itself there it is and that line is said three or four times yeah okay Mm -hmm. so what kind of musically made this movie really cool and groundbreaking is that they used uh double tracking or doubling and uh according to olivier julian 
it's just that's a cool name uh in the diverting of musical technology by rock musicians the example of double tracking uh double tracking is a recording technique in which a vocal or instrumental performance is recorded twice on separate tracks of a multi-track tape recorder the technique was used by the beatles and other artists from the late 1960s onwards so essentially, the Parent Trap and that song "Let's Get Together" was way ahead of its time because Haley Mills sang both parts and they were double tracked together. So that's that's pretty cool. I know it's awesome. They were way ahead of their time. They really tried to do original things. Yeah, and of course that's something that's done all the time now with you know YouTube musicians and all. But way back when, that's pretty cool. And and on analog. I know, right? And this was before, I think they were talking about in this article that uh, after in the late 60s, when they got 12 and 24 track stuff, it really took off. So this was before that even. And so along with the cool uh, audio techniques that they were using, they did a similar thing with the film. So they used split screen and a black mat in order to film Haley Mills in you know the same shot. So poor Haley Mills would do the scene in one costume as one daughter and then they would reset the scene and she would do the whole scene again in a different costume as the other daughter and then they would splice them together which was really neat and um they won the film won uh let's see which one was it they won an an oscar for best film editing and i'm a little disappointed they didn't win for their soundtrack too yeah you know i've never heard the soundtrack so i couldn't comment on that but that's in the age of actual film and literally splicing, you know, taping together uh, two pieces of film, that's no kidding they won. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They used a new device called an optical printer to splice them together. It was, And they had to do it frame by frame. It's really cool. That would have been years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Would have taken a long time. So, yeah, it was remade. The movie was remade in 1998 with Lindsay Lohan, Dennis Quaid, and Natasha Richardson. And it was fine. It was good. Yeah. And it had some musical allusions to the original film. So they have a long list of films. I'm just going to hit some of my favorites because, like Nick said, there's there are way too many to uh, go into too much detail on. But did you, Nick, did you ever see the Disney film The Sword and the Stone? You know, I haven't. I've, I know it's a classic, but I've never actually seen it. So The Sword and the Stones from 1963, it's, it's a really cute movie. And I remember as a kid just absolutely loving this movie. Uh, I don't know if you're a big fan of King Arthur myths, Nick, but this one is based on T.H. White's novel, The Sword and the Stone from the Tetralogy, The Once and Future King, which I read as a kid and I actually just downloaded the audiobook to read on my trip off island later this evening, um, 33 Hours of Goodness. Wow. Yeah, better not take me 33 hours to drive to Seattle, but we'll see. Hey, traffic, you know. Uh, the book's really and- good. <laughs> Um, so essentially, this story revolves around Arthur, who is known as Wart, and his foster family. And he wanders into the woods and happens to run into a wizard named Merlin. Oh, so, what, a, what a coincidence. I know. Isn't that strange? Yeah. No one would ever have suspected that. No. So Merlin has seen that Arthur is going to be the king of England. He has seen that he's going to pull the sword from the stone and become the king of England. So he sets out to educate Wart. He says, okay, your foster father has taught you how to fight. That's great. You have to use your brain. One of the things I loved about this film as a kid is he turns him into a fish to teach him a lesson. He turns him into a squirrel. And essentially, he's trying to teach him that brain will always win over brawn. And uh, yeah, it's very cute. So this is this is a fully animated, but I think it has 
it kind of speaks of what's going to happen in the mix of live and animated for Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Okay, so what I'm hearing is I need to go onto my Disney Plus subscription there and watch this this evening. Mm-hmm. I just got one for myself. I'm really excited about it. And I was watching this. I was actually, I'm not sure this one's on there. I might have watched it on YouTube, but uh, I was watching Bed Knobs and Broomsticks on there, really enjoying it. So again, this was a film that was, uh, it was, the rights were purchased in 1939. It kept being pulled out and put away, pulled out and put away by Disney. And this was the final fully animated, animated film that Disney produced before his death in 1966. So this is the last animated film that really has Disney stamp on it. It got really mixed reviews, but was a big box office success. And uh, the sort of controversy about this movie is that the actor who was voicing Wart went through puberty during the filming of the movie. Oh, dang. Yeah. So the uh, director brought in his sons to to voice some of the parts. The problem is that you rarely do a movie in order. And so it's really obvious when the person changes voice. So they almost would have been better just sticking with the same guy going through puberty, in my opinion. Okay, then. Uh, Some of the best known songs from this film are The Sword and the Stone, Higgitus Figgitus, and That's What Makes the World Go Round, which is one of my favorites. I thought that Higgitus Figgitus is a really good example of what the Sherman brothers were able to do with words. While I think that they were they were pretty good musicians, they were really great wordsmiths. Like that was what they excelled at. And so again, going back to what their father taught them, they lent everything an air of originality. They had quite a lot of say in how the movies would be uh would be put together. And so they'd come up with an idea that they wanted to convey and then try to find words and music that would match that. So just to give you a little taste of uh, some of the fun words that they made up for this movie, Higgitus Figgitus Zumba Zing. I want your attention, everything. We're packing to leave. Come on, let's go. No, no, not you. Books are always first, you know. Hockety, pockety, wockety, whack. Abracadabra, dabra, knack. Shrink in size, very small. We've got to save enough room for all. Higgitus Figgitus Migitus Mum Prestidigitonium. Okay, that totally reminds me of hip hop artists because yeah, yeah, they've been making up their own words for decades, and no one just notices because they do it so fast, right? Or or uh, varying words like these guys did. They were trying to come up with a good song about chimneys for Mary Poppins, and it was chim chimney chim chimney. You know, just yeah. things that flow nicely. Exactly. Yeah, something only a musician can really get away with. That's right. That's right. Uh, one fun thing that I found on YouTube was a series that had been done in the early 2000s called Music Magic, and it was done right before uh, Bob Sherman moved to London. And there are a couple of episodes, one of which talks about it interviews the Sherman brothers on their contribution to the Sword and the Stone, which is really cool. So we'll put again, we'll put the link in our liner notes. And so they say in there that they really they start with an idea. What are what is it about? What's the concept? So in this case, it might be we want to have an undersea adventure that teaches Wart about intelligence. Okay, who's going to sing it? Where will it be set? Things like that. So they would try to get a new angle and invent new words that would further that. So in this particular case, they didn't want to just only use abracadabra because it's boring. It's been used in everything. So they made up words that sounded British or Latin to them. They weren't, but they sounded that way. So 
this movie in particular really impressed Disney and showed him that they were ready to work on something like Mary Poppins, which was very near and dear to Disney's heart. And uh, in that movie, the big word is that they make up. You mean supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? I do. In the- fact, I do. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So their biggest regret about The Sword in the Stone is that they didn't use very many light motifs. So earlier you were talking about Alan Menken and how particular characters would be represented by particular instruments, uh, or later on he would do particular themes. So those in the musical world are called leitmotifs. Uh, Richard Wagner is the person who's best known for using leitmotifs, and it's sort of making the music into its own drama and representing different themes or people or feelings with a particular melody or instrument. So they kind of started to figure out in The Sword and the Stone, hey, you know, we're writing the songs for this, but if we work with the musical directors to integrate themes from those songs that represent certain people or feelings or things into the rest of the movie, it will make it a better integrated whole. So it was a really good learning experience for them. Okay, something to add to my next time I write a musical uh, checklist. Yes, actually, I was thinking, you know, that new Ron Chernow book, Grant, that could be a great musical. We should work on that. Yes, yeah. Let's work on that. Next project. Okay, cool. Done. Check. Uh, Their next big success was in 1964. It was Mary Poppins. And I'm pretty sure that everybody knows the story of the nanny who comes in to straighten out the Banks family. And she is magical and she takes them on all sorts of uh, adventures. And it's a mixed action and animation movie. So this one was really interesting. If you've seen the movie Saving Mr. Banks, I haven't seen it yet. But it is the story of how Walt Disney convinced Pamela Travers to let him make this movie. And the Sherman brothers are, are portrayed in there because they were very important to that process. They went and on multiple occasions played their songs for Pamela Travers and said, see, look, we will do this justice. It will be amazing. It will be great. She wasn't so sure, (laughs) but eventually they did convince her. So Walt's favorite Sherman Brothers songs, uh, song was Feed the Birds from this movie which I always just found really sad as a kid. Do you know that song? You know, it's not even sticking out in my head. Oh, it's it's a really, it's a moving song. And it's, uh, this woman is sitting on the steps of a building in London. And she's, you know, she's saying, feed the birds, feed the birds, tuppence a bag, tuppence a bag. And she's selling crumbs to feed the birds. Mm. And that is really the, the, the song that pulls at your heartstrings in this movie. So kind of a cool thing. On Walt's 100th birthday, they dedicated the cool statue of him with Mickey Mouse Mm -hmm. uh, in Disneyland on Main Street, the end of Main Street. And uh, they had a big party for the dedication. And Richard Sherman played Feed the Birds. And while he was playing it, a bird came and landed on Walt Disney. And the whole crowd was like, and he's like, oh, wow, I must be doing a really good job. You know, he has no clue. Um, But anyway, there's there's a YouTube video of that as well. So... Earlier, you had talked about how many songs Alan Menken wrote, uh, which was it Aladdin? He yeah, written? Aladdin, where he wrote 14 songs. Yeah. The Sherman Brothers routinely wrote upwards of 20 songs for each each production they worked on. Wow. Yeah. So for Mary Poppins, they'd written 23 songs and a lot of them didn't make it. A lot of them didn't make it. But the ones that did, like Chim Chimmery, Chim Chimmery, Chim Chim Chiru, you know, mm, that yes. one, you know, great song. Uh, and essentially they saw a sketch that one of the storyboard artists had done of a chimney sweep. And they were like, just totally inspired. We're going to go make this into a song. So they had to really work with the words. Chimney is another hard one to sing. 
It's not an easy word to sing. Yeah, real hard, uh, real hard enunciation there. Yeah, not smooth at all. So they worked on this song, and it was a song in minor. They used really basic minor chords. Um, they used the tonic, subdominant, dominant chords, so one, four, and five. And it, it to them, it really sounded sort of like a Russian dirge when they were done with it. <laughs> um, and so they they fleshed it out a little bit. They gave it richer harmonies. They they shifted into different chordal areas and they also went into major at some points just to give it some contrast. And um, so that song, I do believe, ended up winning an award. The other thing that's really interesting about this particular, well, there are two things. One of them uh, about this particular movie is Let's Go Fly a Kite. Uh, They needed a villain for this movie. And while ostensibly it's the owners of the bank, they're kind of the bad guys. They're not really the villain through the whole thing. It's really the father, Mr. Banks. Mm -hmm. And, uh, at the end, he kind of needs to reunite with his family and, you know, circle back and realize what's important. And so Let's Go Fly a Kite is there is in honor of their father, who was huge into kites and would always teach them how to build them and take them to fly kites. And it sort of rounds out the whole show and brings it back to, you know, we're a family, we love each other. And we, yeah, that is definitely a great, great song to be closing. And it's very very uplifting and smooth and wholesome. It is. It to- that's a great way to describe it. Wholesome. It's a very good way to describe it. So then the other fun thing is they wrote this song Through the Eyes of Love, which they absolutely loved. And I've listened to it a couple of times. I really don't like it. Yeah. What I've found in researching them is a lot of the songs that they really loved that didn't make the cut, Disney was 100% right. Hmm. Absolutely right. In this case, it was Julie Andrews who said, "Um, guys, that's a little bit of a downer. Can we get something a little more Mary Poppinsy?" And they came up with a spoonful of sugar. Yeah, pro- probably a good call then. I think so. Yeah. In hindsight, it was great. Yes. So we talked about them making up fun words, and supercalifragilisticexpialidocious is perhaps the best made-up word of all time. Um, and their song is just great. They they were often uh, belittled by their critics for writing children's songs. Oh, you just write children's songs. But if you look at them, they really, it's challenging. If you want to sing along, you really have to work at it. I mean, you can't, this, even just this song, you know, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and then they do it backwards. Right. I mean, they never did, you know, yes, it was simple then, and particularly the musical form was simple, but it was not. It was a song with heart, and it was not necessarily a simple, the words were not simple. So it was not playing down to the kid. So yeah, the, it's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, one of the best words of all time. So the 60s were a great time for the Sherman Brothers. Uh, okay. So now I have to interrupt you. Oh, with do a, it. Go for with it. A great, with a great little joke here. Oh, no, it's a dad joke. I'm uh, ready. Yes. So we all know of the, of the great man that Mahatma Gandhi was there, but what a lot of people don't realize was he he lived his life in poverty so he uh, he walked all around the country and often that was without shoes and he he ate very simple meals so he wasn't like a very you know rotund like person like uh i may be here um he was yeah very basic and and the the meals he ate didn't provide very good nutrients so he had bad you know oral hygiene so some people said he was a super calloused fragile mystic hex by halitosis oh my god (laughs) that was a good dad joke (laughs) 
Oh, wow. Nick, common relief. But Comic relief. Common relief. Ooh. Let's try that again. Nick, comic relief. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. It's completely off topic, but back to uh, our musicologist. So I'm not really going to talk about their movies from the end of the 60s. I love The Jungle Book, 1967. Uh, Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day, 1968. Fantastic. The Aristocats, uh, 1970, again, fantastic movie, um, but not on my list today. I had never seen Bedknobs and Broomsticks from 1971. Have you seen that movie, Nick? I actually haven't. See, we're adding to our list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is an Angela Lansbury special. She's one of my favorite, favorite actresses. I love Murder, She Wrote, could watch it over and over. In fact, I've probably seen all of them at least six times. So it was starring her as Eglantine Price and David Tomlinson, who was the father in Mary Poppins, uh, as Amelius Brown. Essentially, three children are evacuated from London during the Blitz to the country, and they move in with a witch. And so Miss Price is training to be a witch, and she is doing a correspondence course to learn to be a witch so that if the Nazis invade, she can defeat them with her magical powers. I need to find this correspondence course. I think so too. Well, the fun thing is you actually should look for Miss Price because uh, essentially uh, David Tomlinson's character, Amelius Brown, Professor Amelius Brown, he found an old book in a bookstore and went, you know, I can make some money off of this and just was sending off spells in this correspondence course, not thinking they would work. He was Hmm. a sham magician and they worked. They worked for Miss Price. She was able to ride her broomstick. She was able to do all these amazing things. And she takes the children on these fantastic adventures. And their method of travel is a bed because a broomstick handle is a little bit small for four people. (laughs) Okay. I have never actually thought about watching this movie, but it sounds like a really funny storyline. It's just goofy. When it came out, actually, the critics panned it because they were like, look, the story is so not connected. It's very disjointed. It goes all over the place. This is random. Sounds like me. Right. There you go. Hey, we. I think we'd both like it. I've only seen parts of it, but I remember watching it all the way through as a kid. I don't really remember it that well, um, but just loving it. And, and kids loved it. And so they had all these adventures, again, mixed live action and animation. And they go to the bottom of the sea and have a dance contest. They go to an island and play a soccer game with cartoon characters. Really fun. So in the end, Miss Price uses a spell that they find to enchant armor to go and defeat the invading Nazis. If okay. the story couldn't get weirder. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So... Probably one of the funniest things, though, is that Mr. Brown ends up enlisting in the army. And by this time, he was in his mid-50s. Sort of the magic of Disney. They wouldn't have taken him maybe as a commissioned officer, but he yeah. he didn't really have any skills. Um. So, yeah. So that's kind of the storyline. So this was the last film that Walt's brother Roy oversaw. He died one week after it came out. And uh, again, it was kind of panned by the, panned by the critics. So... They did the groundwork for this movie while they were waiting for Mary Poppins to be available, while they were waiting for Pamela Travers to be like, yes, go ahead. And to me, it's basically another Mary Poppins. You think about it, right? These children suddenly interact with this magical woman who takes them on adventures using, you know, kind of crazy methods to get there. And they interact with with anthropomorphic animals and 
you know, the waiters, the penguin waiters and Mary Poppins, all these things. So, and they also used a bunch of the music that got cut out of Mary Poppins in this movie. Okay, so you solidified it. Totally. So the big phrase for this movie is, let's see, I can even say it. Uh, It is substituary locomotion, substitutiary locomotion. There we go. So the big phrase for this movie is substitutiary locomotion. And that is the spell that they are looking for, which makes inanimate objects animate. So there is this great song that they sing with all these made up words, typical Sherman Brothers. Um, It's Traguna Mycoides Tracorum Satis D, which sounds like Latin, but is actually gibberish. Um, Substitutiary locomotion. Uh, and that's, it's just this great song that brings inanimate objects to life. And so for me, that was the song that absolutely made the movie. Again, if you're interested in hearing more about this, there's another music magic, uh, on YouTube, which we'll put the link to. And, uh, it's on the Sherman brothers talking about bed knobs and broomsticks. So really interesting. Um, yeah, this, uh, this movie, it was really long. They had lots and lots of numbers in it and 25 minutes of it was cut out when it was produced. And everybody was pretty upset about that. And actually, some of the original film was destroyed. Ooh. Yeah. So when they went to redo it in the 90s, one of the primary songs that they wanted to put in there, they had the audio, but the film itself had been destroyed. So they kind of had to make it work. So coming to the end here on the Sherman Brothers, but probably one of their best known contributions to Disney films was it with Winnie the Pooh. Are you a big Winnie the Pooh fan, Nick? Who isn't a big Winnie the Pooh fan? Right. I love Eeyore. You know, it's funny that you as a base would love Eeyore. <laughs> My grandpa, we always used to call him Eeyore because he, okay. <laughs> so it's just totally that bassy, I'm not happy today sound. Yeah. Well, I don't know what your introduction to Pooh was, but mine was Welcome to Pooh Corner, which was a TV show made in the mid 80s. And it was live uh, action. It was full-size adults in animatronic costumes. Oh, that's creepy. It's super creepy. But as a kid, I loved it. Loved it. And the Sherman Brothers, of course, wrote the majority of the songs. The people who did the costumes for Pooh Corner uh, went on to do Teddy Ruxpin. I don't know if you were a fan of Teddy Ruxpin. Uh, Not a fan, but I know what it is. You know what it is? Oh, I had the Teddy Ruxpin little talking bear doll. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Loved it. So it was a good team working on it. And again, they really, the Sherman brothers brought their wordsmithing to this in amazing ways. They, the, the title number, Winnie the Pooh, uh, is a narrative ballad and they originally wrote it in 1966 for a short and then it's been in almost every Pooh since. And there are a lot of them. Um, so there was the, uh, the, the shorts in the sixties and then in the seventies, there was Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2, the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And then by 1983, we'd gotten to Winnie the Pooh and a day for Eeyore in 2000. There was the Tigger movie. 2011 was Winnie the Pooh. 2018 was Christopher Robin, the piglet movies in there somewhere, just lots of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, it was Um, I can't remember when I was introduced to it because it was always on. There was always something Winnie the Pooh. Right. And you didn't even know it, but the Sherman brothers were in your home. See? Yeah. Look at that. (sighs) Pervasive. Um, My favorite Winnie the Pooh song is The Wonderful Thing About Tiggers, which is such a good one. I do. I do love the Tigger song there. It's just great. And um, the 
actor that voiced Tigger from 68 to 99, um, Paul Winchell, won a Grammy for it in 1974 for his performance. So for those of you who don't know this song, I don't know who you are, but I pity you. Um, The wonderful thing about Tiggers is Tiggers are wonderful things. Their tops are made out of rubber. Their bottoms are made out of springs. They're bouncy, trouncy, bouncy, pouncy, fun, 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 fun. But the most wonderful thing about Tiggers is I'm the only one. And it just, it, it's fun. It's upbeat. And the words just fit together so well. And I can't, I couldn't personify a song any better than that song to Tigger. I know, right? It fits so well. It's a bouncy song. It's upbeat. It's springy. The, I mean, obviously the lyrics describe it, but that is exactly what that character is. He's, it's just so perfect. Yeah. And it, they did such a good job in this movie dealing, you know, it deals with all these, these movies and these stories deals with some tough topics for kids like, you know, depression. Eeyore is definitely depressed. Uh, one of my favorite memes is like, well, you know, Eeyore is depressed, but he still always gets invited to the parties. You know, it's like, gotta love everybody here. Um, but their, their music was amazing. And one of the things they kind of started to figure out in Mary Poppins, they did a little bit of word painting with, uh, I don't know if you noticed when you listen to the song, but in a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. When they say down, they actually go up. So they, they kind of, they get the mood across, even though the word, the connotation of the word is different. And they did that a lot in Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh as well. So they did, like I said, they did lots of Winnie the Pooh movies. That was their main um, collaboration with Disney towards the end of their career. And they were just absolutely amazing composers who had a huge impact on my childhood and I didn't even know it. Yeah, that's crazy. Never, never heard of them before and never thought of it. But yeah, like I said, Winnie the Pooh is a staple. Of course, I know all of Winnie the Pooh. Right? I know. So that's all that I had on the Sherman Brothers. I'm sure we missed a lot in this. Um, as we both said, there are there are so many things. They these guys had huge, huge collections of work, and um, yeah, there was just so much to talk about. So interesting, hard to pick just a few. Yeah, yeah, and just sticking with these uh, with these two different well groups of composers, I suppose. Um, it was really difficult cutting our time down and keeping it this this uh limited so if i missed something interesting please don't take offense to it but feel free to send us an email comment on it uh let us know we're going like uh libby said we have a facebook page up now it's called the musicologist and the nerd (gasps) shocker i know weird and luckily there's no other facebook groups even similar to that so if you search for it you're probably going to find it even if you misspell musicologist nobody wanted to put musicologist in their title weird right super strange that's totally bizarre but hey you know if you like us spread us around let us know you know it's it's a good thing it's a good thing to spread around there's a lot worse things to spread around that's right come hang out with us tell your friends to come hang out with us in nick's office studio and we'll talk about nerd stuff next time we're going to talk about books or plays that were transformed into musicals or musical movies so come and hear about that we haven't chosen our exact subjects within that yet but sure is fun to get to talk about music and do a little research and yeah do that okay i hope you all enjoyed and we'll see you next time bye